إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So last week then we were discussing the efforts of the companions in preserving the sunnah, in compilation of the sunnah. So we carry on now looking at some of the methods that the companions employed in preserving the sunnah. One of them is that they used to encourage their students to write down and record the knowledge. They used to encourage their students to write down and record the knowledge. It is mentioned in Taqiyid al-Ilm of al-Khatib al-Baghdadi and also in Tabaqat of Ibn Sa'ad. الطبقات of ابن سعد كان أنس بن مالك الأنصاري رضي الله عنه يحث أولاده على كتابة العلم that أنس بن مالك أنس بن مالك رضي الله عنه used to encourage his children to write down knowledge Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu the companion used to encourage his children to write down the knowledge. Fayaqul, so he would say, Ya Bunayya qayyidul ilma bil kitab. Oh Ya Bunayya qayyidul ilma bil kitab. That oh my sons, write down that knowledge, record and compile that knowledge in a book. He would tell them and encourage them to write down, to have their writing of that knowledge available. وَكَانَ يَقُولُ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ وَرَضِيَ And he also used to say, كُنَّا لَا نَعُدُّ عِلْمَ مَنْ لَمْ يَكْتُبْ عِلْمَهُ عِلْمًا That we never used to consider the knowledge of a person who doesn't write anything as knowledge. We never used to consider the knowledge of a person who doesn't write anything as knowledge. Never considered their knowledge as knowledge. They never wrote anything down. <coughs> In another narration, it is mentioned from Umar. Ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu that he said an identical thing that he would say qayyidu al-ilma bil kitab write down, compile, put together that knowledge in the book he would therefore also encourage them to write down the knowledge it's mentioned in other narrations as well from Abdullah ibn Abbas. Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhu. Habr al-Ummah, the great scholar of this Ummah, 
أَنَّهُ كَانَ يَقُولَ That he would say, قَيِّدُ الْعِلْمَ بِالْكِتَابِ خَيْرَ مَا قُيِّدَ بِهِ الْعِلْمَ الْكِتَابِ That put together that knowledge in a book, the best of what can be put together in terms of the knowledge, the method of putting it together is in the books. The best way of preserving the knowledge basically is writing it down in the books. So you can see these examples from the companions themselves where they used to encourage writing down the knowledge. Example from Anas ibn Malik, example from Ali ibn Abi Talib, example from Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhum that they used to encourage writing down the knowledge. Example from Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhu the example of Ali ibn Abi Talib is when he said, "Man yashtari minni ilman bidirham." That who will buy knowledge from me for a dirham? قال أبو خيثم يقول يشتري صحيفة بدرهم يكتب فيها العلم. And what he meant by that, who will buy knowledge from me for a dirham, i.e., who will buy some paper? To write down that knowledge into. So these are examples from companions who were all encouraging their students to write down the knowledge into the books. And when we talk about knowledge in those days, we're talking about the chains of narration, the hadith. To write down the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. At the time of the Sahaba, even chains of narration wouldn't have been a huge uh, uh, aspect of it. The chains of narration were very small. But the actual hadith, that they encouraged them to write those hadith down, to have them compiled in their books, and that some of them even said, we never considered anybody's knowledge as knowledge if they didn't have anything written down. So that is a key point. A key point that the companions themselves, radiallahu anhum, used to encourage (coughs) the writing down of knowledge. And it's a key point, even for our situation right now, for the situation of studying and learning, then it's a key point, the point of writing down knowledge, the point of writing down what you learn, what you study, so that it remains, it remains in your books, and it remains in your notes, and you can revise it, and you can go over it. That is the reality of studying and knowledge. Some of the scholars, like a Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad, Hafizahullah, very strict on this point, and used to give a lot of advice on this point, as some of the scholars they narrated. A Sheikh Abdullah al-Bukhari, Hafizahullah, he mentioned how a Sheikh Abdul Muhsin used to tell them about the importance of writing and bringing your pens. And so a Sheikh Abdullah al-Bukhari used to tell us exactly the same thing. You have to bring your pens and your pads and your books and you are not considered a student if you do not. A person doesn't have a book, comes to the class without any book, they would say you are not considered a student of knowledge in that way. For the one who is a student of knowledge, 
then he is to bring his book. He is to bring his pad. He is to bring his pen. Not even to say, as some may say, that will record the lesson, then at home I'll properly and precisely make the notes. Even that, in class it should be the case that you have a book, you have the text, you have your notepad, you make some notes that keeps your focus in class, that you're focusing and writing down points as they come along. Whereas if you're just listening, then the possibility of your mind drifting away is far greater. So for those who are serious about the knowledge, serious about learning those hadith, the principles of the religion, then to be serious in that study, it requires bringing the books, bringing the pads, bringing the pens, writing, focusing, learning, memorizing, that is what is needed of the one who is <coughs> upon studying in a serious way. As for what we have in our times now, where people want to take the shortcuts, nobody wants to put the effort in. Everywhere you go you see this. Nobody wants to put the effort in. People want to take the shortcut to being a student of knowledge, mashaAllah. Being a student and being somebody recognized of knowledge, but they want to take the shortcut to it. They don't want to have to put the effort in to have to bring their books and their pads and their pens and make the notes and memorize and learn and spend months and years doing it. They want to take the shortcuts. They don't want to put any effort in. So they will try in every other method to promote themselves as people of knowledge, as people of understanding, as senior in their level of understanding, make all types of YouTube channels and videos and WhatsApp groups and Telegram groups and this group and that group and Facebook and Instagram and post a few benefits here, a few benefits there. That's what you see from people now on social media, on Twitter and different places. People who have never gone through that stage of actually studying properly never have gone through the stage of bringing their books and pads and writing and writing and writing, memorizing, learning, going over their notes, never gone through that stage. Bypass all of that, shortcut it straight to social media platforms, write down a few benefits here and there, put together a little translation from the broken Arabic they may have, and all of a sudden now a few likes, a few retweets, and this person is being recognized as a person of understanding, and the reality is, he has no understanding. We do not want to be like this. We do not want to be fakes. A person isn't a fake. Should not be like that. You want to have actual knowledge of your religion. You want to have actual understanding of your religion. But to have that, it takes effort. It takes the pens and the pads and the books to be filled one after the next. It takes that you revise in advance before you come to the class, that you then revise and recap after the class. It takes all of that effort in attending the gatherings of knowledge. That is what we need to be upon, not to be upon the likes of all of these personalities and people trying to raise themselves, bypassing the actual studying and the talabul ilm, bypassing all of their classes and bringing their pens and pads. Some of them may be never ever seen in classes. 
Yet, they are posting benefits and translations. And yet they never ever attend classes and nor do they have any background in studying. Then who are they and how are they posting benefits? What understanding do they have? This is the fitna that we have these days. People want to bypass the actual difficult talabul ilm and get to the fruits, get to the number of followers that they want to get on social media and everything else. So be aware, be aware. It is not about bypassing and getting to some type of objective. The objective is that studying. That is the objective, to study properly and to learn from it and then act upon it. So the Sahaba, they used to encourage their students, their own children, to bring or to write down their knowledge in books, to record that and to compile that, because that is how you remember. And you can go back to those notes and you can check and you can revise. But if a person never does that, attends the classes, but never ever writes or makes notes or revises, then after time passes by, you forget everything. We did, for example, Al-Aqeedah, Al-Aqeedah Al-Tahawiyyah. All of that book, we did it beginning to end. Yet now, if we were to open up some chapter from that book, maybe many people wouldn't remember what that chapter was about. Because notes maybe weren't made, revision maybe hasn't been done, and that is the problem. The Salaf, they used to say, آفَاتُ ilm al-nisyan. The calamity when it comes to knowledge is forgetfulness. It may not even be attendance. Maybe people attend the classes. But they don't revise, they don't recap, they don't write. So the Salaf, they used to say, the calamity is you forget it all. You come to the classes, you learn, but then afterwards you forget everything. So this is really important when it comes to knowledge. And the companions, they used to encourage their own children and their students to write down that knowledge. Then, in this next small chapter, تَدْوِينُ الْحَدِيثِ فِي الصُّحُفِ وَتَنَاقُلِهَا بَيْنَ الشُّيُوخِ وَالتَّلَامِيذِ That at the time of the companions, they then began writing down hadith in papers. They began writing down hadith into their papers. And they began passing that around between themselves, between the, 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 the sheikhs at that time and their students and these papers with hadith were being passed around and they were available at that time of the companions. وَلَقَدْ كَانَتْ هَذِهِ الصُّحُفِ هِيَ النُّوَاتِ الْأُولَى لِمَا سُنِّفَ فِي الْقَرْنَيْنِ الثَّانِي وَالثَّالِثِ مِنَ الْجَوَامِعُ الْمَسَانِيدِ وَالسُّنَنِ وَغَيْرِهَا The books that were written in the second and third century, the, the, the root of them the basis of them was developed at the time of the companions. When the companions used to write down all of their notes or their hadith, etc., their knowledge in these papers, that was the source and the basis that the books written in the second and third centuries came from. So the early, the early blossoming of this writing and these books came from the time of the Sahaba and what they used to write down of knowledge. Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali said, Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, he said, وَالَّذِي كَانَ يَكْتُبُ فِي زَمَنِ الصُّحَابَ وَالتَّابِعِينَ لَمْ يَكُنْ تَصْنِيفًا مُرَتَّبًا مُبَوَّبًا 
What they used to write, he says, at the time of the companions, was not organized books. It wasn't organized books with chapters and everything in order. It wasn't like that. It was random hadith written here, some hadith written in there. It wasn't all put together nice and neat and organized, the chapter of purification, the chapter of this, the chapter of that. It wasn't organized in that way at the time of the Sahaba. إِنَّمَا كَانَ يُكْتَبْ فقط. At the time of the companions, they used to just write down their sections on some papers for memorization, for recap, etc. It wasn't about getting it all together nice and neat into books and chapters. It was just about having that knowledge, some here, some there, papers here, papers there. Just having the various ahadith for memorization, for recap. That's all they used to have it for. إِنَّمَا كَانَ يُكْتَبْ لِلْحِفْوَ الْمُرَاجَعَ فَقَطْ ثُمَّ إِنَّهُ فِي عَصْرِ تَابِعِ التَّابِعِينَ سُنِّفَتِ التَّصَانِفِ Then when it got to the third generation, that's when they began writing all of this properly, organized into chapters, into the various uh, uh, sections, nicely, neatly ordered together in a book form. It began to occur at the time of the third generation. وَجَمَعَ طَائِفَةٌ مِّنْ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ كَلَامَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهِ سَلَّمَ وَبَعَضُهُمْ جَمْعَ كَلَامَ الصَّحَابَةِ And so there was a group of the scholars at that time, they compiled the speech of the Prophet وسلم, and some of them compiled the statements of the companions رضي الله عنهم. قال عبد الرزاق أول من صنف الكتب ابن جريج وصنف الأوزاعي حين قدم على يحيى بن كثير كتبه. He said the first person to write these writings in the form of a book was ابن جريج. ابن جريج was the name of the first one who wrote them together in the form of chapters organized like a book as we know it. And it's also mentioned Al-Awza'i, the famous Al-Imam Al-Awza'i. He also began doing that when he came upon Yahya ibn Kathir. Uh, na'am. وَمِنْ أَمْثِلَةِ هَذِهِ الصُّحُفِ مَا يَلِي So some examples now. Some examples of those books and those writings that occurred in the early days. In the days of the Sahaba. So in the days of the Sahaba, the writings were not organized in chapters, etc. like books. They were just random bits here, bits there. One of those examples is this small uh, documentation that was held by Abu Bakr. Documentation that was put together by Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. And within it was the rulings regarding uh, zakat. Rawal Khatibu bisanadihi ila Anas ibn Malik anna Aba Bakr as-Siddiq ba'athahu musaddiqan wa kataba lahu kitaban fihi fara'idhu sadaqah wa alayhi khatamu rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa fihi hadihi faridatu sadaqah allati faradaha rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ala al-muslimin. So Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu had this documentation, some papers with the obligations of charity within it. Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi, who wrote that famous book, Taqiyid al-Ilm, he mentioned with a chain of narration going up to Anas ibn Malik, 
that Abu Bakr as-Siddiq sent him uh, as the person upon that charity, and that he wrote to him a book, or, or not a book, but papers, some papers to him, which had the details of charity, how it's done, etc., within it. So that is an example of something that existed at that time. There is another uh, famous example of some documentation with a hadith and narrations in it that Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu used to have. Uh, and that's mentioned as well. Uh, it's mentioned uh, from Ali ibn Abi Talib annahu khatab an-nasa faqal that Ali ibn Abi Talib addressed the people and said to them, من زعم أن عندنا شيئا نقرأه ليس في كتاب الله تعالى وهذه الصحيفة فقد كذب. That whomsoever claims that we read something other than what is in the book of Allah and this document, then they have lied. So he affirmed in that statement he had some documentation, some papers with a hadith and knowledge written in it. He said anybody who claims we read other than the Quran and these narrations, these papers with the hadith in them, then he has lied. So he affirmed that he had some documentation or some papers يعني, with a hadith and narrations and knowledge in it. Others as well, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As also had some paperwork with some hadith and narrations, some knowledge written in it. Uh, and there were others that existed too. But these that we mentioned there, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As, Ali ibn Abi Talib, and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, radiyallahu anhum, their paperwork with these narrations and knowledge in it, all existed, were written at the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That was during the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. هذه الصحف كلها كتبت في حياته صلى الله عليه وسلم. وَهُنَاكَ غَيْرُهَا كَثِيرٌ مِمَّا كُتِبَ فِي حَيَاتِهِ صَلَى الله عليه وسلم. And there were in fact many other writings of knowledge of hadith that were done at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. So you can see very clearly, writing down hadith was occurring at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Not like anybody can say Bukhari was the first person, Muslim was the first person hundreds of years later. These hadith were written down on papers at the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So that summarizes some of the things that the companions they used to do in terms of preserving this sunnah. That they would write down some of these narrations to each other. They would have correspondences with each other writing down those hadith as we mentioned last time that they would encourage their students to write down this knowledge, that they would encourage everyone to properly, precisely memorize all of that knowledge. Uh, these are all from the types of things the companions did to make sure that sunnah didn't get lost. Then after that, the tabi'een. What did the tabi'een do? The second generation to ensure that the sunnah was preserved and kept intact. The tabi'een, of course, they are the students of the companions. The tabi'een are the students of the companions. 
تَلَقَّ التَّابِعُونَ رَحِمَهُمُ اللَّهَ السُّنَّةِ بَلِ الدِّينِ كُلَّهُ عَنِ الصَّحَابَةِ الْكِرَامِ رِضْوَانُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِمْ The tabi'een, the students of the companions, obviously took all of this religion from the companions because the tabi'een didn't meet the Prophet ﷺ. They were the students of the companions. So they learned all of this knowledge from the companions who had learned it directly from the Prophet ﷺ. فَقَامُوا بِمَهِمَّةِ تَبْلِيغِ الرِّسَالَةِ مِنْ بَعْدِ شُيُوخِهِمْ so after the companions passed away, then the tabi'een realized the burden of responsibility upon themselves. The knowledge that they had taken from the companions of the Prophet wasallam. Now that the companions had passed away, the tabi'een realized what a great responsibility they had upon their shoulders to disseminate and pass on and convey and teach this knowledge to the people. فَكَانُوا خَيْرَ جِيلٍ بَعْدَ بعد ذَلِكَ الجيل. So they were the best generation after that generation of the companions. وَقَدْ بَذَلَ جِيلُ التَّابِعِينَ فِي خِدْمَةِ السُّنَّةِ وَتَدْوِينِهَا وَحِفْظِهَا جُهُودٍ كَبِيرَةٍ وَفِيمَا يَلِنَ مَا ذِجْ مِنْ تِلْكَ الْجُهُودِ And the tabi'een put a lot of effort into preserving this sunnah. They put a lot of effort into maintaining this sunnah. One of the things they did, or you can break it down into separate categories of things that they did. Obviously, they absolutely clung onto the sunnah. They absolutely stuck to the sunnah and practiced it and implemented it. Because that is all from preserving the sunnah. If the people implement and stick to the sunnah, then it carries on and gets passed on. But if people abandon it and don't practice it, then it becomes lost. So the tabi'een firmly stuck to the sunnah and clung on to it. They memorized it. They wrote it down. And they made sure of the narrations and the chains. They memorized it. They wrote it down. They stuck onto it, clung onto it, and practiced it. And they made sure of the chains of narration and the authenticity of those chains of narration. Sabaqa and the kirt ta'ifa min al amfila ala thalika fil fasl thani min al bab al awwal inda al kalami an inayat tabi'ina wa min ba'idahum bi sunnat nabawiya. So some of those examples we already spoke about before, about the tabi'een and how they used to check the chains of narration, etc. But there are some other examples we'll add on here as well. One of them is, Sa'id ibn Jubair, Sa'id ibn Jubair, قال, كنت أكتب عند ابن عباس في صحيفتي حتى أملأها. He said, I used to write down in my papers, in my pad, as we say these days, I used to write down in all of that until it became full. I used to be writing with Ibn Abbas, learning from Ibn Abbas and writing it all down. <coughs> until it became full. And when it became full, then I would write on top of the top side of the 
the tongue of the shoes, just fill up that space, what was there. ثُمَّ أَكْتُبُ فِي كَفِّي And then after that he said, I would even carry on finishing the notes off on my hand. Then he would go home and copy all of that out into his new paper. To that level, that his book would finish in the class, he wouldn't just stop making notes, he would carry on on his hand for the rest of the notes. And then go home and copy them out onto his new paper. To that level they were striving to make sure that the sunnah was kept preserved. In another narration it mentions Muawiyah ibn Qurrah. He said, <coughs> Kunna la na'iddu ilma man lam yaktub ilmahu ilma. This is exactly the statement as Anas ibn Malik said, that we never used to consider somebody as having knowledge who didn't write anything. We never considered the knowledge of somebody as knowledge to be worthwhile if they didn't write anything down, if they didn't make any notes, they had no writing, then we didn't really consider their knowledge as worthwhile. That's what they used to mention. So it indicates how much importance they gave to making sure they wrote down that knowledge. Then also at the time of the Tabi'een, like we said, they began writing down the sunnah into the books. انتشرت كتابة الحديث في الجيل أو في جيل التابعين على نطاق أوسع مما كان في زمن الصحابة. During the time of the Tabi'een, writing down became much more of a thing than it was at the time of the Sahaba. At the time of the Sahaba, رضي الله عنهم, they used to write down their hadith in various papers here and there. At the time of the Tabi'een, it became like a fixed thing. When they were in the gatherings of knowledge, it became a thing that you write down. You write your knowledge. You come with your paper and your writing equipment and you write in the class of the shaykh. It became a thing at the time of the tabi'in to do that. That became the methodology, that became the means of preserving that knowledge. It became the norm to do so. أَصْبَحَتِ الْكِتَابَ مُلَازِمَةً لِحَلَقَاتِ الْعِلْمِ الْمُنْتَشَرَةِ فِي الْأَمْصَارِ الْإِسْلَامِيَةِ آنَذَاكِ Writing in the circles of knowledge became a fixture. That was something that was done. You attend the gatherings of knowledge, you write down that knowledge. Write down those hadith. وَلَعَلَّ مِنْ أَسْبَابِ ذَلِكَ التَّوَسُّعِ مَا يَلِي what is the reason why at the time of the Tabi'een it became basically a fixture, something that was just done by norms to write down in the classes of knowledge now? There were several reasons. One of them, انتشار الروايات وطول الأسانيد وكثرة أسماء الروات وكناهم وانسالهم Like we mentioned before, at the time of the Tabi'een now, in the second generation, Knowledge had become spread out. Companions had traveled to different lands. Those chains of narration had become longer. So knowledge was becoming more spread out everywhere. A single hadith now may have multiple people in the chain of narration. So as a consequence of that increase in the chains, in that knowledge, in how it all worked and the spread of that knowledge, the number of narrators, their names, their identities, everything had to be precise. And it was becoming more and more and more. The number of narrators, their names, their fathers, their lineages, 
So that knowledge was becoming a lot more vast now. And as a consequence, they focused on making sure they wrote it down to make sure that the chains of narration were kept preserved and biographies of narrators were kept known so you could understand and recognize where the authentic narrations are and where they are not. From the time of that time, from the time of the tabi'een, they were doing that. Also another reason why they began writing a lot more and it was a done thing to make your notes in the classes of the mashayikh at the time of the tabi'een was because now, imagine now you're in that second generation. The first generation of the sahaba are all slowly basically now passing away and they are the great memorizers of the sunnah. They learned that sunnah from the Prophet ﷺ and they are all slowly passing away. The tabi'een wanted to make sure everything they got from them, they had it written down and preserved. That there was no chance of anything being lost. So from all of those companions, the great huffaz, the great scholars, those who learned from the Prophet, the tabi'een made sure they wrote down all of the knowledge from them. Because the companions were of course now slowly all passing away. And that we know, like we know, that knowledge passes away with the death of the alim. When a scholar dies, that knowledge goes. That knowledge that he had, so they knew they had to take that before the death of the companions, write it down and have it all recorded. Also, as time goes by, as generation after generation goes by, the level of ability and the level in terms of the strength of memorization, it may become less. At the time of the Sahaba, strong. Tabi'een, strong. But then as you start going along, the ability in memorization becomes less. And the ability and strength in knowing and learning and memorizing the chains of narration, etc. becomes less. And that's why these days, rarely are you going to have any of the scholars who are at the level of the scholars in those earlier generations. In those early, in terms of the memorization of hadith and the change of narration. In our time, Sheikh al-Albani, of course, at a high level. But when you compare Sheikh al-Albani's level to the level of some of those who were in the first three generations, and you compare the numbers of how many chains they had memorized, you can see still the levels are less than what they used to be. Even though for our time and for what we are, Sheikh al-Albani, rahimahullah, for what he had is mountains of knowledge. Mountains of knowledge. But all I'm saying is, in the earlier days, when you look at the tabi'een, the third generation, and the imams of that time, and what they had memorized, there's obviously a difference. Over time, the levels do become lower. So, that was another reason. The tabi'een realized that, that the sahaba were obviously superior. Tabi'een aren't going to be of that level. So the people after them are going to become weaker and weaker. So they recognized, we need to write it all down. Needs to be written down, needs to be recorded, needs to be preserved. Another reason why they began writing so much was because at the time of the second, third generation onwards, who began to arise? People of innovation. The people of innovation began to arise during those times and spread 
And so the tabi'een made sure that they were writing everything down, preserving it and compiling it all. And there's uh, many examples uh, of those books or documents or papers that they gathered and they wrote at that time. Many examples of that, we won't list them now. Um, after the tabi'een, uh, or during that time, what we can also mention briefly is the efforts of Al-Imam Umar ibn Abdul Aziz uh, and Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri. They put a lot of effort into the spread of the sunnah or the compilation of the sunnah, the preservation of the sunnah. أخرج البخاري الإمام البخاري mentioned from Abdullah ibn Dinar كتب عمر بن عبد العزيز إلى أبي بكر بن حزم انظر ما كان من حديث رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فاكتبه فإني خفت دروس العلم وذهاب العلماء ولا تقبل إلا حديث ولا تقبل إلا حديث النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ولتفشوا العلم ولتفشوا العلم ولتجلسوا حتى يعلم من لا يعلم فإن العلم لا يهلك حتى يكون سرا He mentioned to, uh, that Umar ibn Abdelaziz wrote to Abu Bakr ibn Hazm and said to him have a look at all of what you have in terms of the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, and write them down have a look at what you have in terms of the hadith and write them down. Because I fear that the knowledge may disappear by the disappearance of the scholars. I fear the knowledge may disappear by the disappearance of the scholars. And then he mentions to him, do not accept anything except, except that it is a hadith of the Prophet wasallam. And then he mentions to him at the end, because knowledge will not be destroyed, it will not disappear until it becomes secret. Meaning that only certain people have that knowledge and it is not spread anywhere else. If it becomes secret like that, only certain specific people have the knowledge, nobody else does, then the knowledge disappears on a mass level. So he said, I fear that the knowledge may disappear otherwise. Uh, Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri said, أَمَرَنَا عُمَرِ بْنَ عَبْدِ الْعَزِيزِ بِجَمْعِ السُنَنْ فَكَتَبْنَاهَا دَفْتَرًا دَفْتَرًا Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri says that Umar ibn Abdul Aziz commanded them, ordered them to write down the sunnah. He said, so we began writing one pad after the next, one book after the next. We were filling them up, writing them down. And then they would send those pads full of a hadith to the different lands of the Muslims. Sending to them basically the sunnah. Sending to them the sunnah in the different lands, one pad after the next to the different places with all of those ahadith written in them. It's mentioned as well that Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he said to the people of Medina at the time, look at what hadith you have from the Prophet ﷺ and write them down, because I fear the loss of knowledge otherwise. You can see therefore, that during the time of the Tabi'een, there was a lot of effort now being put into the writing of the Sunnah. The point of all of this, like we said, is to highlight 
that this doubt some people bring, the doubt that some people have, and they say, look, Al-Bukhari, a Muslim, and these books you rely on, these books of hadith that you rely on, they weren't written till 200 years after the Prophet ﷺ. So, have you got no other records or books before that? You're relying on books of hadith that were written 200 years after the Prophet? We tell them, no, look at all these details. What's in Bukhari, a Muslim, was already on paper, written down at the time of the Sahaba, at the time of the Tabi'een. They were recording, preserving, compiling all of that sunnah well in advance. It's not like Al-Imam Al-Bukhari and Al-Imam Muslim came along for the first time and wrote down the hadith. They were written on papers at the time of the Sahaba. Sahaba used to tell their children, their students, write down the hadith. Then at the time of the Tabi'een, whenever they used to go to the Mashaykh, it was a done thing to write. Standard, default, that you write down. And they began to organize things more uh, better with chapters, etc. And then eventually, as we're going to come to see, actual full books were then written thereafter. That brings us to the end of, basically the end of the first generation, the first century. The end of the first century. What's happened in the first century then? The companions have been encouraging everyone to write. They've been encouraging their children to write. They've been writing. Their students to write. They've been writing. The tabi'een, it's become a done thing, default, to write down everything in their circles, in their gatherings of knowledge with the mashayikh. So in the first century, in conclusion, very simply, a lot of writing was happening. The sunnah was being written down, it was being preserved. All of this, eventually it's going to get to the point of highlighting why it is we always say, our religion, Quran and sunnah, and that we follow upon the methodology of the salaf of this ummah. Who are all these people we're talking about now? In the first century, we're going to move on to the second century, third century, they are all the salaf. It was the Salaf who preserved this Sunnah to begin with. From the time of the Prophet ﷺ onwards. They preserved, they compiled this Sunnah. So when somebody says Salafi, means you're following the Qur'an and the Sunnah which was originally compiled and saved and preserved at the time of the companions, at the time of the Tabi'in, i.e. the time of the Salaf, by the Salaf. That's who we're following, that's what we're following. So that is to the end of the first century. What we're going to start next time is then the second century. What happened in the second century? In the second century, uh, and then we'll move on to the third century. And of course, second century, third century, that's when you start getting into all of the Bukhari, Muslim, Tirmidhi, Abu Dawood, Ibn Majah, Nasa'i. And we're going to talk about all of those books one by one properly. What is Al-Bukhari? Who was Al-Imam Al-Bukhari? Why did he write Sahih Al-Bukhari? What is it about? How many hadith are there in it? Then the same again for Muslim. Who was he? Why did he write it? How many hadith in it? Same again about Ibn Majah, Abu Dawood, and Nasa'i, Tirmidhi. So everybody has an understanding about those books. Because they are different. Al-Imam Al-Bukhari's book is different to Imam Muslim. Different in different ways. We'll mention that. And their books, Bukhari and Muslim, are different completely to Abu Dawud and Nasai ibn Majah and uh, At-Tirmidhi. Because the objectives of the authors were different. So we're going to break down those books, famous books everybody's heard of. So everybody knows what those books exactly are. 
and how they fit into the preservation and compilation of the sunnah. That's where we'll round off for today then. Uh, and we'll resume next week insha'Allah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Any questions up to there? Or anything else related or unrelated? He's just sorry. One second. He just mentioned what is the reasoning for the weakening of memorization? That is something which occurs throughout time. You could say the environment is something that changes, no doubt. As you go along, knowledge becomes less and less. Scholars die. Knowledge goes with them. In the earlier days, at the time of the Sahaba, at the time of the Tabi'een, you can imagine, it was a different environment altogether. Everybody you met, knew hadith memorized. All of the Sahaba, the Tabi'een, the vast majority of people, knowledge was widespread. Whereas these days now, you have a Shaykh al-Albani, around him, how many people does he know who are even comparable by a mile away to how much he knew? Nobody. So how are they going to have the same type of environment as the Salaf who had another hundred people who knew exactly as much as they knew? A hundred people who knew all those thousands of chains as they knew. So there's a difference in the levels of ability, the amount of people of knowledge. People of knowledge pass away, knowledge disappears with that. And slowly over time it becomes weaker and weaker and the ability to uh, have a recognition and memorization of all of those different things becomes less and less because of the environment as one key thing. But there's other, other factors, of course. We know with the scholars dying, knowledge passes away as well. So it becomes weaker and it becomes less the further away you get from the source. At the source, it's going to be the strongest. The Prophet ﷺ, the companions, the tabi'een. The further away you get from the source, the more widespread and diluted it becomes. Ah. The question is a different subject. Go on. And there's all of two Muslims and they're both in the same Akidah. Mm. One has more people praying in the Jamaat than the other one. Mm. You get reward more for reading the be greater. No, you should go to the one, if, if you're saying upon the way you've explained it, that there are two mosques and both of their Aqidah is legitimate. Based upon that scenario you've explained, in that case it's better for you to go to the one that is closer to your home. That, that, that's how you should do it then in that case. If there are two mosques or multiple mosques, all of them as you said, legitimate upon their aqidah and everything, then it's better you go to your local. That is how it should be done. Anything else? In that case, we'll carry on next week, inshallah ta'ala. Should be closer to uh, 7.15. Today I was delayed with uh, uh, road problems, uh, a uh, broken down car. But inshallah, next week, it should be about 10 past 7, quarter past 7, we should be ready to begin inshallah.